0: Fake, fake, fakety, fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far right podcast Rebel News and talk about the red puddle with my friend Vienna. The red puddle? The red puddle. Okay. You, you see, it wasn't a wave, it was oh. a puddle.
1: <laughs> okay i don't know if that's how like fluid dynamics work you know it, it's like a red what's the word for like the when the water sticks in the glass you know when it's just like slightly up
0: ripple i mean ripple would have been a way better word but ezra chose puddle so we go with the words we were given i guess this <laughs> is how this is uh, going.
1: the red adhesion the red water adhesion <laughs>
0: But yes, we we will be talking about uh, the midterms this episode. So, because this is the week, we're we're again still a little behind, but we're catching up. But this is the week when the uh, the midterms occurred. So, how are you, Vienna?
1: I'm tired. I'm very very tired. Yeah, I I, I honestly don't really have any anything else really. Uh, I started a new job. um... I'm in a union now. That's pretty cool. Solidarity um, forever. Yeah, exactly. Haven't fully woken up today. So we'll see how this goes. How are you?
0: I'm I'm good. No no complaints from here. Nothing exciting to talk about either. It's just, you know, living living the dream, as it were. So uh that's fun. But uh yeah, this is this is going to be a shorter episode, I imagine. Not a lot happened in it, so I know Vienna's shaking their head for those not watching the visual portion. You know you can go support the visual portion on Patreon.com/slash Imperial News. Uh, but yeah, we I I don't uh, I don't expect this to go very long. It's mostly about the midterms and uh, some Twitter shenanigans. But uh, yeah, so I I guess strap in, get ready for the excitement. Red puddle, here we come! Woohoo!
2: Hello, my Rebels. Hello, my Rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo.
0: So this week, we are covering uh, November 7th to November 11th. And on November 7th, Ezra, his opening monologue is all about how he created his own poll. And he paid four thousand dollars for the for a polling company to I guess ask the the questions. So it's like paying the four thousand dollars to get this polling company to do this was like his like signaling. Oh, look how credible this is. We're going through an actual polling company to do this. And so what they did was they got the company to call Albertans and asked them if they supported amnesty for pastors and small business owners who are facing COVID-related fines. And he doesn't talk that much about any of the results. He only focuses on one of them, which is that 73% of UCP supporters, so that's the United Conservative Party in Alberta, support this. So if you think about that, only 73% (laughs) of the UCP supported this compared to everyone else, I guess. (sighs) Sure. I also love that he has to frame it with, like, pastors and small business owners, right? Because he knows if he's, like, some asshole who just didn't want to wear a mask, that wouldn't go over well. (laughs) Most people wouldn't care about that person.
1: I mean, it sounds like people didn't care overall, otherwise he would be showing off the other results, too, right? True.
0: Instead, yeah, because my guess is all the other parties... Because I, I guess they did the poll based on political affiliation. Most of them probably uh, did not like this uh, suggestion. <laughs> now, granted, the UCP has powers. So it's like, if they see that their base overwhelmingly supports this, they're probably going to move towards something like it. And it doesn't... like In some ways, they wouldn't even need to do this poll because they already elected Danielle Smith, who seems to be in line with something that ezra is saying here she's been very apologetic about like the lockdown rules that hurt people during the pandemic mm-hmm. so my guess is something might happen and but you didn't need this poll to figure that out in the interview segment ezra talks to sheila Reid about a story involving a mla for the ndp and again this is in alberta and I had never heard of this story, but it's kind of weird. So there was this NDP M- uh, M- MLA uh, named Thomas Thomas Dang. And what? Dang. If- well, dang indeed, because what he did was he hacked the Alberta Health <laughs> in order to show that there was like vulnerabilities in the system. And he reported himself to, like, the authorities saying that he did this and said, here's where your system is vulnerable. And they ended up fixing the insecurities or whatever based on the information that he gave. However, he didn't, like, get anyone's permission to do this. He was trying to signal, like, I'm this white hat, or what do they call them, white hats? Where they're, like, good hackers or whatever? Yeah. So this resulted in it. Well, I think he left the NDP... As soon as he came out with this information, because he was like, because he was under criminal investigation. And if you're under criminal investigation, you have to leave the party or something like this. So he's now an independent, but he just pled guilty for this thing that he did. And of course, Ezra and Sheila's take on this is this guy is a terrible human being. He's trying to watch you while you sleep. He's like trying to find out your medical records. He's a creep, all this stuff and they're really annoyed that he's only going to get a $10,000 fine for this even though it's not clear i think the sentencing or or like determining what fine he gets is going to happen in a couple days from where we're recording i think it's supposed to come out on the the 20 or the uh, 29th of november mm-hmm. but he he likely so his lawyers asked for $4,000 as being the fine and the government is pushing for $10,000 so we'll find out where it maybe it'll end up somewhere in the middle. I don't know, but like that's that's the range in which he's going to receive a fine for this. And uh, I don't know, how do you feel about this? Because part of me is like he did find a vulnerability, it doesn't look like there's evidence because he I think he looked at Jason Kenny's or he tried to get access to Jason Kenny's records. And he chose him just because he's those are already publicly available, according to him, or something like this. And then he said he uh. didn't look at any of it. And there's no evidence that he looked at, like, anyone else's, like, records. And he did find a vulnerability, and they did fix it. But at the same time, do, like, it does feel kind of creepy, right? Yeah. It,
1: it, I don't know. Like, I'm... i'm sympathetic to it like yeah he found a vulnerability and like was like okay here's proof of it sure whatever like he admitted to it immediately you know he didn't just go like hey i think there's a vulnerability because you know then that's going to take like the like whole reporting process etc you know like it's the problem with like the bureaucratic systems yada yada where it's just like if something is an immediate concern that doesn't mean that it's going to be immediately addressed. And I bet this did get it immediately addressed. So it's kind of like, okay, he did his whole thing. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I I obviously don't take it to the level that Ezra and Sheila are taking it here, where they really call him out for being super creepy. Like, he's tr- here's this creepy NDP person checking in on your medical records. But, like... Yeah, so like I'm I'm kind of—I mean, there's there could be an aspect to this case that I'm missing, but this is all that I found while looking at it. And if there's something I'm missing, let me know. But like I I I kind of agree with you. It's kind of like, it's weird in a sense because he did do something kind of good, but then it's also like, yeah, you went rogue, so you you kind of like I don't know, expect the fine, I guess. Like (laughs) I don't know.
1: You know, if you can get away with. It, paying the lower fine because you were doing it as a public service go for it you know like that. that's the thing right like
0: and i wonder if he's gonna get the lower end of it just because he did plead guilty and like yeah didn't contest any of the facts so
1: yeah like like that's just how court works right like
0: no you so know we'll you see.
1: cooperate and sometimes and you do that in order to get like lesser sentences that's that's a pretty standard thing
0: so i mean like yeah could have been a lot yeah. worse, whatever this is. But uh, <laughs> unless, again, unless there's something I'm missing, and if anyone uh, has a problem, let me know, and we'll correct the record or whatever we do. But as as far as I could tell, uh, it seems pretty much on the up and the up. So then we get to November 8th. And, of course, November 8th is Election Day for the, for America, obviously. <laughs> and Ezra is looking forward to the red wave. He's super pumped about it. But the first half of the show, he's going to talk about Elon Musk firing half of the Twitter staff. So for those who don't remember the exact timeline, this is even before uh, Elon eventually initiated the blue checkmark scheme, although it was in the works. They put it on pause and it was going to be released a couple days after the midterm. So like in the timeline, the $8 blue check thing hasn't happened yet. But Elon was already just firing staff. At this point. So here's what Ezra has to say about the firing of those staff
2: members. That's the amazing and shocking part. Twitter was absolutely chock full of useless political bosses, political activists, censors, regulators, public policy experts, nothing to do with the actual app itself, nothing to do with the technology. They, They were like barnacles on a ship and there were more barnacles than ship. They attached themselves to the profitable, useful technology and just brought in their woke agendas. They colonized the place. Half the staff at Twitter were political bosses. I mean, look at this incredible statement by a former Twitter employee fired by Elon Musk. She was fairly senior. She said, yesterday was my last day at Twitter. The entire human rights team has been cut from the company. I'm enormously proud of the work we did to implement the UN guiding principles on business and human rights to protect those at risk in global conflicts and crises, including Ethiopia and, and her list goes on. Hang on. You, you had this whole human rights team implementing United Nations principles. Did, did you know about that? I didn't know about that. Twitter's imposing some foreign globalist regulations on its app. What? Damn,
1: Twitter's trying to not have ISIS beheading videos on its platform. Those globalists
0: <laughs> don't like don't they go on about like the Nuremberg Codes and the Geneva Convention all throughout the whole pandemic? But like, wouldn't that be a UN foreign-funded principles being forced on? <laughs> it's just so selective and stupid. My God like and like the fact that you're just like how dare you have anyone making sure human rights aren't violated on twitter how dare you they're useless get rid of them
1: ezra there's war in other countries (laughs) like there's genocides going on we don't want to like have people promoting those on social media you know, like, look at the role that Facebook played in the, ge- the Rohingya genocide, right? Like,
0: yeah. I mean, that's where they, a lot of like, this is coming th- from.
1: Through a lack of moderation, like, that allowed that sentiment to uh, to flourish and then, like, the genocide to happen. Like, similarly, like, when, when ISIS was, like, first, uh, you know, gaining ground and whatever, like, they had a huge Twitter presence. You can still find them, like, a little bit, but it's it's not as easy as it used to be because of these sorts of people
0: <laughs> well there was concerns similar stuff was happening in ethiopia which is why they like raised that issue but it's like yeah of course you should have people monitoring like, yeah. That stuff. <laughs> yeah no it, it, like similarly like
1: when uh the taliban were taking over afghanistan like you can still find taliban twitter accounts like you know they're they're around you stumble upon them accidentally sometimes
0: Ezra plays this game constantly. I don't know if I have any clips of it, but he's been doing it since. For I think since Donald Trump Trump got kicked off the platform, which is like, oh my God, they won't allow Donald Trump, but they'll allow like uh, foreign leaders of like Islamic or Islam, Islamic countries to like still be on the the Twitter, and it's just like, yeah, because they're I mean, some of those leaders are at least not like uh, doing things against the terms of service, but then it's like. Yeah, Donald Trump started to say the quiet parts loud, just like the ISIS accounts or other (laughs) organizations, which also got kicked off the platform, you know?
1: Yeah, and and that's, that's kind of part of the thing about having a, like, you know, an international platform like this, where it's, like, where it is, like, dominated by, you know, Anglophones and, like you know, based in the US and yada, 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 where it's like, you know, yeah, you have, you have some of those people still, but you know, you have a, like a human rights team and like whatever else. And ideally it like in as many languages as possible in order to address the things that like, you don't see on the Anglophone side of Twitter. Right. Like, and also to stop the Anglophone side of Twitter from like spreading Nazi shit too. Right. Like it's,
0: I think it's weird just in terms of because he's he's calling like half the team useless when a Mm -hmm. lot of these people are moderators as well. So like part of his argument is like moderation at all is a bad thing. But those moderators are not just stopping things like, you know, terrorists voicing their goals and ideology, but also like uh, people posting uh, child sexual exploitation images or stuff like this. Right. You also need people to moderate that and remove that content. So, and like, he's just like, they're useless and we don't need them. So like what? Like Twitter is like a complete free for all hellscape. we like, I mean, it already sort of was, you know, but like more so. And (laughs) and
1: that's like, that's the thing at the the end of the day, right? Like that team was fully inadequate to the task. Like they weren't doing a good job as evidenced by like all the things that we've already talked about like you know all of that shit is not difficult to come across um i haven't at least ever come across like the child uh, sexual exploitation stuff thankfully um but like all of the rest of it like yeah you know you go through the twitter replies in a like in any like major posts about any event in a certain country and you're just going to find like the worst people imaginable posting the worst shit imaginable and you know that that even the limited attempts at not having that shit everywhere is like that they are gone is like like yeah the platform is gonna crash because no advertisers are gonna want to have like you know, have their products and then have like beheading videos underneath and have like, you know, like whatever else you might be coming across. Like, it's very funny because we're just like, you know, here we are being like, hey, do you understand how capitalism works? (laughs) Like, at the end of the day, like kind of being like, hey, if you want your corporation to run, (laughs) you need to make sure that it obeys international law, like-
0: part of what, like, Ezra isn't touching on here is, like, Twitter is c- going to be coming down with a lot of lawsuits, even for violating uh, international laws that don't have to do with, like, monitoring content, but, like, some of, like, the back-end stuff that they had agreements with other countries, and now they're violating them by firing the people who were supposed to maintain those, like, uh, arrangements and agreements. So it's, like... Though they weren't useless people, <laughs> a lot of them were involved in all of this, and now they're just they're gone. And like Twitter's, I mean, as Elon himself said, they're gonna go bankrupt. And like, yeah, of course they are. But we move past that, I guess, to the one solution where as uh, Elon is trying to make himself not go bankrupt, which is the eight dollar blue checkmark scheme shit. But this is how. Uh, Ezra wants to talk about the blue checkmark stuff. So we'll start with his initial go for it. The, the, and of course, it's it's the blue checkmark elite because <laughs> only the elites had the blue checkmarks.
2: That little blue checkmark next to your name. Again, if you don't have a Twitter account, you may not know what I'm talking about. It's called a verified checkmark. It supposedly verifies your identity Um, Now, that's not someone uh, impersonating you. That's you because you got that blue check uh, check mark. It's useful for public people, but in fact, it it wasn't treated like a true verification mark because anyone can get verified by showing ID and proving they are who they are. Think about what you had to do to get your online banking going. You, you, You can do it, and yet you yourself might not even be famous. My point is the blue check mark for Twitter was not in practice about verifying your identity. It was about whether or not you would be invited into an elite club of influencers and approved pundits. I, I have no idea how I got my blue check mark. I didn't ask for it. One day it came, and I suppose I'm glad. Maybe it's because I run a news company, and even our critics on the left acknowledge that we're a thing. But the, the blue check mark community has a kind of identity, a group identity. They're the fancy people, they're the official people, they're the approved people. It's not just verified, it's approved. In fact, Twitter has in the past punished people by taking away the blue checkmark. How does that make sense if it's just about verification? Are they not still the person they were yesterday? No, of course they are. It just means that they've lost Twitter's seal of approval. It was always a snob thing, a club, a cast, an elite, us versus them. Again, I, I have no idea how I got it, but I got it somehow.
0: He wants the blue checkmark for a status thing, right? That's... <laughs>
2: Don't you have to
1: apply for a blue check mark, also? Oh no, piano! Yeah, I, I don't, know how I got it. it
0: just, it just showed up.
1: <laughs> like while that clip was playing, I was like, "Ezra is verified, isn't he?" Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, but I love like he keeps like ramming how it's like it's just it's this upper elite echelon class smug elites and but and then he's like. And then I have it, but oh, I'm just a humble person who just (laughs) accidentally stumbled upon the blue check. What it? It's so fucking silly. That like like there's an aspect in which part of the verification thing had to do with like notifying that yes, this is the public persona or the account for a specific public persona so that it would like avoid parody account shenanigans that part is like sort of true and like the taking away like part of that was because giving people the blue check mark it gives you a kind of official status and then it was like Twitter didn't want to be sanctioning some people to be like we approve of what you're saying kind of thing right so like there's a double dynamic working here but yeah but and here's the thing it's like part of it is like he's not completely wrong in that like there are some people, especially certain liberal people that I know of, that were like hold it as like a badge of honor to have the blue check mark but like i don't I don't know that that was like the the fault or like that was like the plan of Twitter as the company, but it was definitely the feelings of a lot of liberal people. And like whatever, like sure, F- <laughs> screw those people. I don't know. But now Ezra wants to get into the the paying of the eight dollars because this is going to democratize being officially certified by Twitter with a blue check mark. So Ezra is super pumped and excited about this.
2: But look, Elon Musk has now said he's going to let anyone get themselves verified in that little blue check mark for eight bucks a month. You too can get that blue check mark. That's not just a source of income for Twitter, which it is. It's a way of reducing spam and bots. Spam and bots, robots, or anonymous accounts, sometimes made by the hundred or by the thousand, and they are artificial. They're like what a laugh track is to a TV comedy. They're fake. You can have thousands of fake bots promoting or opposing something or someone. It's what Elon Musk didn't like about Twitter when he called off his bid. He said there's too many robots there. He said one solution is to make everybody pay 8 bucks a month to go through the verification process to eliminate bots. I mean, you wouldn't likely see someone buying 10,000 bots if it was 8 bucks each per month, even if they could provide the verification information, which they probably couldn't. So it's about improving the user experience, about moving away from ads and towards a membership fee, but it's also about democratizing it. Now, the peasants can look just like the Kings on Twitter. And oh, does that make the blue checkmark aristocracy furious? I think I showed you this the other day. Stephen King, the millionaire, was arguing with Elon Musk, the billionaire, about not wanting to pay 8 bucks a month. (laughs) Look, it wasn't about the money for Stephen King. It's that Stephen King is special. And because he's special, he wants a freebie that only he gets. Because don't you know who I am? I'm Stephen King.
1: Ezra's a class trader. That's what we're... That's what we're discovering.
0: Uh But not even.
1: <laughs> He's a traitor to his class of verified blue check marks.
0: Oh, okay. In that yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: I love the explanation of bots. That was great. Um I want him to explain basic tech concepts. Yeah.
0: I mean, even that on its face and we kind of discussed this last episode too, is just so ridiculous because it's like like anything scammer it's it's about like uh whether or not you can make a profit off of it right so it's like i'm sure scammers would work out in the purchasing of their bots how much money they could spend on the bots versus like how much return on that investment they can get right and if it's co- if it's not cost prohibitive like eight bucks a month is pretty low it might be worthwhile for a bunch of scammers to buy a bunch of eight dollar bots if they're gonna scam people enough such that they get more of that in return
1: I don't know. It, it I think it's part of like, you know, we're we're kind of going through a collapse of social social media right now where like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know, Tumblr always um like what else exists these days um are are having like, you know, these crises due to like advertising drops and like, you know, the the bubble is kind of bursting, right? And so like, you know, It makes sense to try to come up with solutions to that by, like, charging users for whatever. Um, But it's just, like... I don't know. Like, the ways that it's being framed are just so, like... Weird. Where it's just like, (laughs) oh, yeah, we're doing this for blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, you're doing it so the platform can stay running. Like, I think saying that would be a lot, like... People would be more sympathetic to that if they, like, actually cared about the platform staying around.
0: But Ezra doesn't want to do that because they frame Elon Musk as this, like, savior daddy. He's, like, the... Yeah, baby. yeah. I no, mean, exactly. Yeah. But that's
1: that's still part of it, right? Like, you know, you have to have the savior to come in and rescue it from collapse still. And so it is still, like, you know, part of that crisis of, like, you know, they can't really financialize it, social media as well as they thought they could.
0: It was coming out of this point already, though, that, like, Elon was preparing for bankruptcy within Twitter. So it's, like, for him to be, like, somehow these $8 a month stuff is going to save the company from bankruptcy with all the, like, ad revenue. And this is before all the Eli Lilly shit and stuff happened, right? So it's, like... Yeah. And, of course, like, we kind of, like, played into it, too. But there are some people who claim that, like, the drop in the stock price had to do with other things that were uh, coinciding with the uh, viral tweet... So it's not likely that the tweet itself was the cause of uh, that large a decline in the stock price. But that being said, mm-hmm. it's like you these companies still had to release their own statements saying that that wasn't them. You know, <laughs> they, they still had to respond this, uh, respond to it. And it's uh, they're they're probably not going to advertise on Twitter in the future because of this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, like like it would be one thing if you had to pay. In order to have an account, and like you know, you got some kind of other like recognition that you are like paying to keep the site running. You know, like I don't know if you've heard about this, but like Tumblr uh, released a, um, you pay eight dollars and you get two check marks. <laughs> no, After all of this stuff amazing. happened on Twitter, yeah, but you can also pay another eight dollars to get an extra two t- check marks. Four so there check are some marks? people. There are some people that have like, you know, 15, 20 check marks. Like, Hell yeah. where it's just like their name and then it is check marks on multiple lines because there's so many of them. And like, you know, that, that's a gimmick. Like,
0: that's, that's a thing that like baby. might,
1: yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like that's, you've got your, you've got your, you know, niche audience that is like paying into these things where it's like, you know, if you're presenting it as a like somehow democratization and then, it's really just a complete collapse of, like, your whole business model. <laughs> like, that's not democratization. That's just, like, furthering the collapse. Like.
0: I find it funny, too, with the, the Stephen King nonsense. Uh, in part because, like, Stephen King's a liberal. I, I probably will disagree with Stephen King's on, uh, on many points, right? Yeah. But his tweet was mostly, like, Stephen King like said like he's producing the content for the app so why would he pay $8 yeah to continue to produce the content and it's like yeah (laughs) like Twitter benefits from him being blue checked because then he brings people to the site like yeah think
1: about this in like YouTube and Twitch contexts, right like imagine if you had
0: to pay YouTube and Twitter yeah (laughs) to have
1: your account (laughs) running,
0: yeah it's like it's so ridiculous but it's like but of course like he frames it as like Stephen King is, and like maybe Stephen King is the type of person where he's like he gets to walk all like proud with his chest puffed out because he he had a blue check although like I don't know I kind of doubt that about Stephen King Uh, you know yeah I kind of feel like he would do that about the
1: (laughs) you know dozens of best selling books more the, than all the
0: movies that have the classic. The blue yeah, check mark. Yeah. yeah. Like So it it's just weird that he makes it about that, as if like that's that's Stephen King's concern at the end of the day, is he he doesn't get to walk around with his elite friends or go, Oh, oh I have a blue check mark that I did not pay for.
1: That's the thing, is like it really is kind of like only important to the like the kind of mid-tier. Of, like, the Ezra's and, like, the, like, you know, the individual journalists for larger companies and the, like, you know, like, it's not a big thing to be verified for, like, the individual, like, you know, like, like the Stephen Kings and the, like, you know, the huge people. Because for them, it's just kind of a, like, yeah... They're like, you know, I'll be like, yeah, it's me in an interview. And then they're like, good.
0: Unless, of course, someone was using their name and like saying stuff they don't agree with and wanted to make a distinction. Like, that's where I think they would care. But the thing is, like,
1: if you're an individual at that level, you can just put it a statement through some other channel and be like, that one's not me. You know, where when you are like when you're a company. Yeah, that's different because it's like, you know. There is no individual who can, like, go to someone and be, like, not me, guys. And also, like, it's not as if, you know, an individual has, like, stock prices to drop. (laughs) Or, like, you know, a, like, company reputation to maintain as much.
0: Well, I mean, reputation just in the sense of, like, I don't know, if there was a- say there was a Stephen King- Account that was just saying nonstop racist stuff. I'm sure Stephen King would just be like, "I'm tired of having to step in and say it wasn't me." Just pay attention to the blue check mark. Like I can imagine a scenario. No, like
1: that. I, I think I think one. I think that somebody would be like, "Oh, these are just quotes from his actual books." Um, <laughs> but two. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so maybe this doesn't work for Stephen King. Okay. But yeah. Just- <laughs> Just put in any uh
1: When we're imagining this hypothetical yeah. non racist celebrity, um I'm
0: sure there's at who least totally a who totally
1: exists. Um <laughs> But you know, yeah, like you know, you can just go to like a you know, someone else and just be like, that's not me. Like and then anybody who like actually cares about you will be like, Oh, that's not him. That's not them. You know, like there are there are like ways around it for the like the actual like upper echelon you know where it is like this mid-tier of like you know not huge companies and you know not huge meaning like not huge like culturally present yeah because you know eli Lilly or whatever is like billions of dollars but it's like you know it's not it's not a household name. it's not mcdonald's it's not wendy's it's not you know whatever else but it's like you know those are kind of the people that need the verification the most because if there's no verification on who they are then yeah like that would have a huge a much bigger effect if like you know
0: yeah someone was someone it.
1: of ezra's size was uh going around and posting racist slurs all the time yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and people were like that's not our ezra um because, you know, there isn't as easy a way to, like, refute those ones. But, like, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this at this point. But, like, it's just kind of, no, like...
0: I, I do see what you're talking about. It's like- just so
1: poorly thought out. Like, it, like, it's just... And especially, like, on Ezra's part. Because, like, you know, he's talking about people caring about it who... Have no fucking reason to give a shit <laughs> about this. You know? Like... Yeah. <laughs>
0: But but of course Stephen King was just the one who talked back to Elon. That's the, that's the and of course, of course like Ezra has to run uh, defense for his boy. It's pretty much it. yeah. Yeah.
1: And the thing is, like I bet there were a bunch of other blue check marks who were doing similar things, but Ezra couldn't name those because nobody would know who the no. fuck he was talking <laughs> about because they're not fucking Stephen King. <laughs> like,
0: <Yeah>. No, exactly. But <laughs> well, that's it for the Twitter stuff uh for this episode, but like it's just and and again, it's one of these things, we mentioned this last episode too, of just the hindsight of like knowing how Twitter is just crumbling and like, again, like how hyped they were at the start of this that he had to do several episodes about just how great Elon's going to go in there and going to save the day. Do you think they're going to go to
1: Mastodon? Or will they just stick on Rumble and whatever? Does Rumble have like non-video
0: stuff? I don't think so, but they, they populate everything, I think. So my guess yeah. is they would, if they could get into Mastodon, although I heard that Mastodon like are, are, they moderate a lot of like the, the far right accounts. So like, I, I don't know, moderate them in that they've kicked them off the platform. So, so who knows? They,
1: so because there's no central platform, you can't kick them off necessarily. But you can, you kick can, can kick them out, them out of, servers. of the individual like federations and servers. Yeah. And like, there are a bunch, like there's a huge number of like far right servers and, like, federations. It's just that your server and your, like, federation of servers can choose not to, like, have contact with them.
0: We move on to uh, the interview segment, and it's not really important to go over. Uh, Ezra just talks to his employee, Katie Davis-Court, who's an American, and they chat about the midterm election. Similar stuff, you know, the red waves incoming, prepare for a huge destruction of the Democratic Party. Just you know, not worth going over. And then, uh, in the mailbag segment, kind of, well, it, was, it wasn't it was really a mailbag segment. Ezra just had a few last things to say. Uh, he, Ezra sort of reflects on the Trump-DeSantis rivalry, rivalry. And I guess a couple days before this episode, or the episode that Ezra is doing, Donald Trump had called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. And Ezra's is, is, like, one, it's not a good nickname, and two, why is Trump being so mean to, like, Ron DeSantis, who's, like, his bud? Uh... <laughs> and so, you can already see somewhat a, a turn. He's starting to get, like, agitated with Trump in some respects at this moment. But, of course, this is before we learn that it was a, a red puddle. So now we get to November 9th, and this is, of course, the day after... This is where Ezra admits that it was in fact a red puddle; it was not a wave, but rather than address maybe the candidate quality, Ezra of course speculates whether or not there were election irregularities
2: election integrity are two words you're not allowed to say in fact if you say them in the wrong way on youtube or other social media you'll get a strike you'll be deplatformed. it's very strange you're not allowed to say that u.s elections are not reliable at least you're not allowed to say that about the 2020 election democrats say that all the time about elections that republicans win i remember at first when george w bush beat al gore and they looked at the hanging chads, and that case went to the Supreme Court for years. Democrats said that George W. Bush was not the legitimate president. They called him a usurper. That's all fine to say on social media, but you can't say that about Democrat shenanigans.
0: Now, why might there be a discrepancy here between what you can and cannot say on social media when it comes to the George Bush-Al Gore election versus Trump and Biden? I
1: mean... The real one is kind of just like it was pre-social media um, and like nobody gives a shit. Um.
0: <laughs> well, the second one is the first one has facts to it. I mean, like he even the funny thing is, like, even in how he states it here, he discusses the hanging chads and that it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Like mm-hmm. you're talking about factual things that already ha- like that actually happened. And then when it comes to election irregularities here, it's just like irregularities, hand wave. (laughs) Like there's no concrete thing there. And that's part, well, part of the reason why they hand wave is because, again, Dominion might still sue them, Dominion voting systems for the, the stuff that they were talking about at the 2020 election. Yeah. But also because it's like, there's no there there. So they have to just sort of be like, Oh, stuff happened. <laughs> Trust us, you know. The The other thing too, like with the hanging Chad thing, like for those who don't know, what happened in Florida in the 2000 election was to vote, you had to do, it was like a punch card system. And so you would punch a hole for the candidate that you wanted to vote for. And then it would go through the scan system. And what a hanging Chad was, is like, For anyone who's ever had to punch holes in a piece of paper you know how sometimes you get like one of the little circles doesn't fully get cut so it like hangs on there it's a hanging chad right so when it went through the scantron it didn't get registered as a vote even though they clipped it right now the reason why this went to the supreme court has to do with some of the things that you see now which is there's a limited window for when you can have a recount before January comes and you're doing the inauguration, right? So they, they wanted to have the recounts done. And what happened was you had people like Roger Stone who ended up working for the Trump administration. You know, people that are really familiar with who Roger Stone is now the guy with a Richard Nixon tattooed on his back. He would show up to these Florida where they were doing the recounts in Florida and would stage like riots, they were called Brooks Brothers riots, to sort of delay the counting uh, of the, the recount of the Florida ballots, because it was so close. That's when it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, because it was taking so long, because there was all this harassment and the delays and all this fun stuff. And the Supreme Court ruled that they were going to stop the count and give the election to George Bush. Okay? We now know, and, and the decision was made five to four where the five Republican appointees voted for in favor of giving the election to Bush and the four people who were appointed by Democrats decided not to. We now know, reflecting afterwards, that if you were to take into account some of the votes with hanging chads and they did like all these calculations, that Al Gore would have won that election if the recount was allowed to proceed. So when you know that, (laughs) when you say that election was stolen... It was stolen. It was decided by the Supreme Court, not the voters. It's it's a factual statement. Like, you can't get away from that. We know that historically, okay? You can't change that. But they like to pretend like, oh, the de- it's, it's a t- both sides do it thing. The Democrats complain about elections and the Republicans do. But when the Republicans have been complaining for the past, like, four years, there's been no evidence <laughs> of any shenanigans. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. No, it's
1: very just like wow, th- different things are different.
0: And and it is bad that like Bush didn't pay a price for for that or the Supreme Court didn't pay a price for that and the American public just like went on with their lives and then September 11th ended up happening and the rest is history, right? But like they should have been outraged by it. <laughs> you know, if you if you think about it five appointed judge judges decided the outcome of an election arguably for the worse so good times now given the red puddle ezra's tone shifts in this episode where you can see that he's upset with trump because a lot of the trump-backed uh candidates are not doing so well and similar to like a lot of like all the other right-wing figures it's clear that Ezra is pulling for DeSantis to be the next leader of the Republican Party. Now again, I think they created a beast. It's not clear uh, whether the base is gonna go for DeSantis over Trump, but Ezra is getting in line with everyone else now and, and we're not I'm not too surprised with this like Ezra's been yeah. promoting DeSantis for like the past two years anyways so not surprising at all and that's pretty much their election coverage. The interview segment was weird. He had Maxime Bernier on of the People's Party of Canada. And like, uh, I'm part of me is like, why? (laughs) Like, there's no election in sight. They they just chatted and like they covered old ground. So they talked about like the PPC's policies on immigration they talked, ab- I guess the new thing is they talked about the war in Ukraine and Maxime Bernier just like echoed a lot of what we've heard Ezra say. So like, there's nothing to talk about there. And uh, yeah, but it's just like, why interview Maxime Bernier right now? I have no clue. They didn't have anything else going on? Yeah. I like, I don't, I don't know. Cause an election happened and he wanted to get his favorite candidate on. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. So that was that. That was the interview segment. But then we get to the mailbag segment. And uh, someone writes in to criticize Donald Trump. So let's, uh, let's hear that.
2: Someone named Canadian Rumble Guy says, Trump's narcissism won't allow him to step aside and let a better person run. He's putting his pride above what America needs to move ahead. Too many Americans who don't like Trump would vote Republican if he wasn't still making it all about him. Trump is going to be the downfall of American democracy. I don't think he's going to be the downfall of American democracy. But I do think that him... I mean, the thing about Trump is Trump is Trumpism. Trump is about himself. It's about his personality, his charisma. He takes up all the oxygen in a room. And when he's on and when he's fighting for something important, he's amazing. When he knows what he wants, when there's a deal to get on behalf of Americans, on behalf of the free world, Trump is the guy you want. But when Trump is just talking about Trump especially in an American economic recession, it just rings self-centered. And I think that a policy wonk like Ron DeSantis, who shows he can win and win Latino voters, I think that that combined with him being a generation younger, I think that's a powerful thing. Don't count Trump out. I mean, he's made a, a lifetime of successes by being counted out. He's fallen down and gotten out more times than most. But I think that the magic, I'm not saying it's gone, but it wasn't evident last night. Hopefully, the Republican candidate for governor, Kerry Lake, in uh, Arizona can pull through. And it would be a bit of a miracle if it could in New York, too. There are a few that we shouldn't write off yet. But as a whole, Trump's people, where it counted, did not win last night. How do you lose to a stroke victim? That's our show for today. I keep forgetting...
1: What's his name in Pennsylvania? I Fetterman. Yeah, I keep forgetting Fetterman had a, stroke, had a stroke, and so it's just kind of like, every time it gets brought up, I just like, it's such a weird line of argument.
0: The following week, and then this week, like, I didn't clip it as much, but they constantly were just like, Oz is gonna win because Fetterman had a stroke. And I can't believe they're keeping him as a candidate because he's so incapacitated and can never be a senator. Fetterman is like, and, and like, there's evidence that, or, or likely evidence, that the messaging about Fetterman's stroke actually hurt Dr. Oz. Because people were like, why are you being so fucking mean to this guy? Because he needs like some aids to communicate while he recovers from the stroke. Because people know people who have had strokes, and a lot of them recover. In fact, it's very likely that he uh, Fetterman will reach and the similar abilities to communicate as he was before the stroke. So it's just like amazing the way that they they talked about this guy. I think that was like the biggest upset for them on election day. For one, because that was the one steal in the Senate. That was the plus one gain the Democrats got in the Senate was Fetterman's seat. So, uh, for one, it hurt them on that front and the fact that they just thought it was so inconceivable that someone who had a stroke would win an election.
1: Yeah, and then, like, all the, the Trump dissentists, yada, 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 like, oh, wow. Yeah, a younger guy probably would <laughs> have more energy and do better, you know?
0: And, and like, I played that through just for one, uh, just as, like, a, a bookmarking of it, you know? We heard what he has to say about Trump and DeSantis at this moment. And let's see how that develops once the primaries start to (laughs) start to kick in, you know, Mm -hmm. because I do share with him, like, don't count Trump out. You know, it seems like the party apparatus is going behind DeSantis. And I think in a weird way that might backfire because that same sort of antagonism, aggrievement that Trump felt towards even the Republican Party Is what helped him win those primaries where people thought like even the Republican primary was rigged against him because the establishment Republicans, the rhinos wouldn't let Trump win. So. So I don't know. And I also don't think DeSantis has wide appeal outside of Florida, if I'm being real. You know, there's a reason why, like most of the other transphobic, shitty people lost across the country, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think he's going to be a successful outside of Florida. But anyways, that's that's where they stand with the election. That that was their election coverage. And we got one more day, November 10th. And uh, Ezra talks about Twitter's connections with China and Saudi Arabia. And like, there's nothing to go over. So we're just going to scoot right past it and get to an interview that Ezra has with Ben Weingarten. Now, we don't have a lot to talk about with Ben Weingarten, although... Cause usually we do. Cause he is super racist. He's the one who wrote the book uh, about Il- Ilhan Omar, claiming that she mm. like married her brother and stuff. That like a bunch of other conspiracy theorists have like run with. Of course, it's not true. The guy's a fraud. But like, what you gonna do? And he's on, uh, of course, to talk about the election. And the the whole like talk about irregularities that was happening earlier in the week has now coalesced around this idea that it's the delays themselves in the counting that is like the reason why people don't trust the election so the fact that like counting the votes takes so long and so and and he blames it on stuff that was implemented during covid although some of these states that take long counting it took long even before the covid pandemic. And the other thing is like what's happening recently that can also account for delays is that the elections are getting much closer. And so you have these splits where like the votes between the two candidates are very narrow compared to previous elections. And so it takes longer to make sure that like the disparities aren't uh Right. Because like if there's a small disparity when the votes are that close, it can cause like a bigger issue. So they're more thorough and sort of like checking and like making sure they get it correct. Correct. You know. And they focus specifically on Arizona because, of course, uh, Arizona is uh, where Maricopa County is, where all these delays are constantly happening. It's just like. The same thing that happens uh, all the time. And also, it's where Kerry Lake is from, who is promoting all the election-stealing shenanigans. Now, the thing that's funny about Arizona, though, how they were trying to say, like, oh, Arizona is, like, this particularly bad thing. And they say it's all because of the Democrats. But, like, I looked at it. The Arizona state and House, uh, like, uh, uh, for the state, like, it's been Republican since the 90s. So any... (laughs) this and this is what frustrates me is they like to blame all these various things on the democrats when it's like most of this stuff the reason for the delays the reason for all the shenanigans was put into place by Republicans who are now saying, like, oh, the elections are delayed and fucked up because of the shit that the Republicans were doing because they had, like, you gotta have the voter ID, you gotta have this. Like, the the Republicans have been, like, super up on, like, making all these, like, rules for the elections then it makes them harder to count. All to blame, like, voter fraud that isn't happening.
1: (laughs) Remember when Brazil had an election in a country where voting is mandatory in a country whose population is comparable to the u.s uh, and whose political divide is also quite similar and it was over in a day like the u.s midterm hasn't ended yet and this is three weeks later
0: but isn't it like like part of that is cause each state gets to decide how their local elections are run. Yeah. So it's No, like exactly, right? It's a messy fucking system. It's so you know.
1: A democracy founded by slaveholders is not going to be that good. A democracy founded to protect the rights of slaveholders, I should specify. Um Because yeah, you know, like like, Brazil was a military dictatorship less than, like, what, it was, like, the 80s when democratization happened? You know, so many countries that have had electoral democracy for less than a generation have better functioning elections than the U.S. And it is just, like, you know, maybe maybe it is the fact that, like, you know, they had to, like, create an election system within their lifetimes type of thing. But it is just, like, wild seeing, like, Americans be like, oh, yeah, you know, democracy this, democracy that, and then it's like they can't even, like, figure out how to vote. Like
0: Honestly, what it is is there's been an ongoing American Republican project. Yeah. But I don't think it started with the Republicans because this goes all the way back to Jim Crow and before, so back when you had the Dixiecrats even. There was this ongoing project to limit who gets to vote. It's been like through, like it's. You are right. Seventeen seventy six. You know that, like, yeah, yeah. It, because like that is what's happening, and it's even happening today. The reason why you have all these like weird fucking rules in all these states that all seemingly happen to be southern states is because they're trying to prevent people from voting because they know, and they're very vocal about it. If they can limit who gets to come out to vote, they're more likely to win, because the people who would vote against them. The poor, the working class, uh, racialized minorities—they're likely to, to vote against them because they've co-signed onto the the white platform, you know. Yeah, explicitly. So it's like, no. y- yeah, and then and then they use the delays that they fucking created to allege that the the outcomes were fraudulent, or or they'll blame the Democrats. In the clip we're going to listen to in a second, they'll blame the Democrats for doing so hard in trying to get people to come out to the polls and say that's a problem it's a problem that they motivated people to vote and beat us in the system that we rigged
1: but the weirdest part is like you know these people who are like so intent on like slow like you know slow rolling the death of democracy when it's like in most other countries there would have been a military coup the (laughs) military government would have been thrown out of power by now and like things would have been addressed where like america is just like so it's so conservative that it can't even do a coup you know like like it is so like oh wow we have to respect the constitution yada 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 and just like you know and you know all in brackets uh, in quotation marks of course but like you know you, you have to kind of like oh just piecemeal you know all of it whereas like yeah in any other country it would just kind of be like okay we're going to have military government for, like, a decade or two. And then eventually people get annoyed with that and, you know, we'll, we'll have a, another fake democracy or whatever. But, like, like, America is just, like, such a weird place and that, like, nothing nothing can ever happen. <laughs> like,
0: It's complicated because I do think things are happening. It's definitely, like, weirdly enough... But, but it is, progress- like, so... Yeah, I... It's slow. It's slow, and it's like trudging, uh, and often like two steps forward, five steps back, or whatever it's like. But like, I I think part of it too is like there is an interesting contradiction that I think I think you're kind of right when you called it conservatism, where it's like part of the national identity is this like love of democracy or whatever it is, which is why there is this aversion to like an outright militaristic coup, Mm -hmm. and yet they're okay with this weird slow marching coup. Uh, seemingly okay there has been in the last few years a bit of a pushback given how vocal the republicans have been but like yeah yeah it,
1: it's just so like you know you were saying like oh like a few steps forward a few steps back it's like and it's not even that it's it's multiple steps in every direction possible yeah. right like, <laughs> like like but it's all you know just teensy tiny steps in any direction and like it all of them rights. are doing it like... at the same time but it's like not even states' rights, like individual citizens, you know, like the role, like the increased transphobic violence, and then also like, you know, the increased like left wing armed presence, and then the like, you know, just like these tiny little like, oh, okay, we're gonna like start heading towards this, and start heading towards this, and start heading towards this, and it's like throughout the entire like social system, like it's it's not just within the like confines of. You know, the the government side of politics, it is everything that they do and it's their like their whole political imagination, it is like all of it. Like it's always just like these little teensy tiny steps and like you know, maybe maybe in three centuries we'll have a a slightly different America. Not even like anything beyond that, right?
0: yeah I wonder if like some of some of this is just the the culture of like neoliberal individualism that like when it comes to like the kind of like mass movement politics, there's like an aversion to that of like grouping and working as a group or even on the Republicans who could benefit from being more groupy you know uh although they they manage to in their own way succeed but yeah.
1: Yeah, like, it's it's the stagnant heart of empire, right? Like, it's it's just kind of, like, they can't imagine... They can't imagine that a different world is possible. They can't imagine that a world where they are not, like, you know, the seat of power. They can't imagine... like Like, it's like a little, like, Roman court drama, except it is the entire, like, <laughs> you know, 400 million people or whatever. Like...
0: Yeah, no, it is it is a little wild.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. Like like I think historians are gonna have so much fun with like the American Empire in decay. Like I think we're gonna have a nightmare of a time with it. But
0: <laughs> Well I was gonna say know. it's gonna be uh, uh I was gonna doomer it and be like, if there's a future for historians to exist in because of America, but you know, we'll uh
1: they might not be recognizable as historians in the sense that we consider now <laughs> there will be people telling stories about it though
0: uh sure
1: regardless of what happens like yeah there those could be nuclear war mutated. there will still no, be people I was yeah gonna
0: say, those who have mutated from the fallout uh i will play wilbur clip uh because i do have a clip of ben weingarten uh basically acknowledging that the existence of mail-in ballots and absentee ballots should not be allowed because even though there has been absolutely zero evidence of fraud ever happening, there's the potentiality of fraud.
3: Jimmy Carter and James Baker put together a bipartisan report on federal election reform back in 2005, and what they said in that report is that absentee ballots have the most potential associated with them for fraud. And it's just a matter of logic. It's not to say that there's been evidence of widespread fraud in the range of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of votes, but that's in part because it's really hard to detect fraud. So I don't know that we would even know the size, the scale, the scope of the fraud, absent whistleblowers, or some other means of catching it. But it's just by very nature of the system if the ballot is being delivered to someone's home you don't know who they're interacting with you don't know who's filling it out you don't know if they're being coerced persuaded induced to vote a certain way and now we have this concept of ballot harvesting that's also been normalized in this country where essentially ballots can be collected en masse in certain states by law and in other states illegally uh, and, and and cast you know the ballots can be delivered and and then taken and distributed uh, so there are all, there's just all manner of opportunities, the potentiality for fraud, and that undermines confidence in the system. You see, there's,
0: you know, even though we can, we've never seen the evidence, and that's part of, like, the evidence, it's so, the evidence is so sneaky, right? But logically, we could tell there's a potentiality of fraud. It's just that it's so sneaky that we can't catch it, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what he's talking about is just, like, more of the same though right he's just talking about like adding extra layers of bureaucracy to like you know slow down the vote even more that they'll then complain about to put in more measures to like slow down the vote also he has the most boring voice to listen to i was doing like a little talking hand and like i my hand got tired because of just like how long-winded all that was
0: listen not all racists can sound exciting okay (laughs) His is the boring, boring kind of racism. So, yeah. Although, in, in some ways, that can be worse, uh, the worst form. But that is that is the end of the election stuff. We will get so the last day, the Friday, was November eleventh, which is of course Remembrance Day, and every Remembrance Day since I've been doing this podcast, Ezra reads a goddamn poem, and it's the same poem every year. It's Tommy, Tommy does it or done it or I can't remember, but it's by Rudyard Kipling. Uh yeah, <laughs> and, and it's all like, I I mean it's not a terrible one by Rudyard you know I mean Rudyard is like bad and like has a lot of colonial issues going on there, but it, Ezra
1: it, just reads the White Man's Burden it, every th- every Remembrance <laughs> Day,
0: and but this one is more in favor of the working class. It's all about how like the working class is always the one who has to fight the wars. Kind of that's sort of like the message behind it, and like. Yeah, I mean, what I don't like about the poem is it doesn't, like, talk about how war itself is bad in the first place. It's just the fact that, like, when war is done, people ignore the the veterans, sort of, is kind of, like, the message. Even though it was the working class people that went to to do it. And, like, sure, Ezra. And he's like, it brings me to tears. Every year I get choked up and I read this poem. And it's like, okay, Ezra, sure. Sure, bud. And then uh he ends the whole thing by interviewing the one of the dudes who was at Coot's who's being charged for mischief and uh they don't say anything cool so so I forgot about it on remembrance day true
1: guess is is where i say something um
0: come on vienna
1: (laughs) take a nap uh go to bed early you deserve it um sleep in if you can uh that's that is my message to the listeners for the week that's all i got um destroy every bridge you see
0: yes uh that is if not the Imperial News message, it's definitely v- <laughs> v- Vienna's message. Uh, I did want to say uh, it's been a while, but we did get a new Patreon. So I, I was thinking of uh, throwing out the one-time Patreon shout-out at the end of the show. And so I'd like to congratulate Portuguese. I guess it's a singular Portuguese person, (laughs) the Portuguese, but uh, yes, thank you Portuguese for becoming a World Economic Forum collaborator, which is uh, one of the top tiers of our Patreon. So uh, thank you very much for becoming a new Patreon, Portuguese. We appreciate it. We love geese here. (laughs) But this is just one single goose. Do we love geese as a, as a plurality or goose as the singular?
1: Every goose, all of them, (laughs) uh, wage unending war on, uh, lawns on, uh, university campuses on, uh, parks on anywhere you want to be on bridges. Um, Exactly. Exactly. And geese are really good for that. Um, that's, really appreciate it. But geese it, you know? play the
0: long game where they wait for the acid in their poop to slowly decay the concrete. They're playing the long Listen, game. Listen, they have <laughs> multiple strategies.
1: They do blockades. Uh, they conduct, like, individual raids on anybody who is, like, uh, too in their space. They block um, traffic? Exactly, exactly. Like... real, Real good beasts, you know?
0: And if you want to join the geese consider joining portuguese over on patreon.com slash imperial news and if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter so long as it still exists at imperial news with a z we have a discord setup i've been trying to do twitch streams but we've been pretty busy and sick but we'll see if i can uh, manage it you can find youtubes on uh youtube videos on our youtube channel and you can find all the links to these various media platforms in the show notes of this episode lastly you can email us email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com special thanks to my friend mason tickle for the transition beats you can find his work at mason tickle.com thank you for listening and please visit our website the potentiality of fraud the lack of evidence of fraud doesn't mean it isn't happening so uh visit the site and Pay money and we will create potential fraud.
1: <laughs> Sorry, what was the website?
0: The potentialityoffraud.com.
1: Okay, dot com, dot com. Not dot org, dot dot, dot gov, not okay.
0: Dot. I just want to make sure that part. Ooh. So we could be as fraudulent as this country.
2: Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields? If two gooses
1: are geese. What are
2: two mooses? Meese?
1: Yeah.